Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. I want to share just a few thoughts with you this morning on Passover preparation. Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, we have what I think recorded here are some of the most beautiful words that you'll find in Scripture. And these are are words that Yahweh told to Moses to tell to the children of Israel who were struggling under the bondage of Egypt. Exodus 6 and 5, I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I've remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of, of Israel, I am Yahweh, here's that name, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from your bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your Elohim. And then you shall know that I am Yahweh, your Elohim, who brings you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am Yahweh, Heavenly Father, for these brief moments, I pray that you uh, might visit your people here today and that you might speak to our hearts through your word. We thank you for this day and for this opportunity you've given to us to be able to come together for this Sabbath. Uh, We thank you so much for this week that is to come. We thank you in advance for how you'll work in your people, and we just pray now in these moments that you'd speak to each of our hearts, I pray, in the name of your Son and our Savior, Yeshua Messiah. Hallelujah. Again, I say these are some of the most uh, beautiful uh, words spoken uh, to man. Moses went and relayed these words to the people, and the Bible records that they couldn't even receive them because they had had so much oppression. In other words, they had so very little hope, Brother Keith, that they couldn't imagine. In, in, in all of their imagining, they couldn't imagine what it would be like to be delivered like this and to have these things actually come to pass. And yet we know if you read through the next uh, five chapters, six chapters of the Bible, you'll see how Yahweh did indeed intervene on their behalf and all of the things that he did to bring them out of the captivity that they were under there in a nation of Egypt. And, and as many times as I've read that story, reading it again and trying to prepare uh, for the message today, there were some things that really stood out to me. And one thing in particular that just jumped out off of the page it's funny, I started talking about names because we had already been reading about and singing about uh, names, but I was amazed and I'd never really noticed before how many times the name of Yahweh is used in these six verses of Scripture. I took a blue highlighter and I went through and I highlighted every time. Yahweh told to Moses every, practically every time that he was to speak to Pharaoh 
that the very first thing that he was to say to him was to declare his name. Go back and see that. I am Yahweh, Elohim of the Hebrews, he said. Almost every time that he spoke to him, and I wondered the significance of that. And here's what I'll share with you. I think at least two things. Number one, uh, while we don't necessarily know the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel, I can only guess that Yahweh had to reintroduce himself to his people. You know, I think that they lived in a culture and in a time where there probably wasn't a whole lot of emphasis put on Yahweh, and he's reintroducing himself to his people. And the second thing that I think, um, when I consider how many times his name was used, this is what I believe. I believe that Yahweh wanted Pharaoh to know for certain, listen, when these things come to pass, it's not just some... Uh, uh, you know, some act of nature. It's not just some fluke. He wanted him to know who was responsible. When the water turns to blood, listen, it's not something that just happened. I've heard people talk about the mud that must have flowed into the sea and all into the river and all those things. Here's what I'll say about that hogwash. Let me tell you who's responsible for that. Yahweh was responsible for that. Do you know who was responsible for the frogs? Yahweh was responsible. Do you know who was responsible for the lice? Yahweh was responsible. Who was responsible for the hell? Yahweh was responsible. Do you know in our own lives the same thing is true? I was reminded this morning about daylight when I went outside and I saw the sun come up. That didn't just happen. Can I tell you, I know who is responsible for that. The book of Hosea talks about it. It says, you're going forth, Yahweh, is as established as the morning. I told my usher team, that's one of my favorite verses because it reminds me of the faithfulness of whom I serve. As faithful as the sun is to come up, that's how faithful Yahweh is in my life and he has been and pretty close to 20,000 days in a row that I've been on this earth that the sun's come up every single day. And listen, it'll come up tomorrow. And let me tell you who's responsible for that. That's not just something that happens. Yahweh is responsible for that. I looked and I saw all these children and pregnant women that we have in our midst today. Listen, that's not something that just happens. Let me tell you who's responsible for that. Yahweh's responsible for that. That's his name, and his name should mean something to us because his name has power, amen? So over and over and over, you'll see in these passages of Scripture where he reminds Moses to remind Pharaoh, to remind the people just who it is that he's dealing with here. And so these next six verse, six chapters, you see where over and over and over, Yahweh gives Pharaoh, an opportunity to release the children, by the, the, the children of Israel, by the way, he knew that, they, that he wouldn't. He told Moses beforehand his heart would be hardened and he wouldn't turn them loose. But he gave them an opportunity. And then in chapter 12, uh, chapter 11, now nine plagues he's visited on, on the land of Egypt and, and still Pharaoh won't let his people go and in chapter 11 Yahweh speaks to Moses and he said I'll bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt and afterwards he'll have to let you go 
and he'll surely drive you out, he says. And Yahweh tells Moses that the firstborn of all of Egypt will be killed. Um, and, and Yahweh gives Moses very specific instructions. Exodus 11, 4, thus says Yahweh, about midnight I'll go out in the midst of Egypt and all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne even to the firstborn of the female servant who's behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the animals. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land such as was not like before now, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel, Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that Yahweh does make a difference between the Egyptians and between Israel. So this is what, the, what Yahweh says to Moses. These are the things that are going to take place. And then he gives him instructions on exactly what he was to do. Verse 12 Verse 3, speak to the congregation, saying, On the tenth of the month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb, and your lamb shall be without spot, a male of the first year. And you can take it from the sheep or you can take it from the goats and you'll keep it until the 14th day of the same month and then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentils of the house where they eat and then they shall eat the flesh that night roasted and fired and with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. So he gives them these instructions to, to kill the lamb and to put the blood on the doorpost, that was to be a sign to them. And he says, then you're to eat it, and you're to eat it with unleavened bread. And then he gives them instructions. After having said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and the pl plague will not be on, be on you when I strike the land of Egypt. And then he gives them instructions then for... This seven-day observance, what we would call the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Passover and Unleavened Bread uh, were meant to be observed simultaneously as a reminder to the nation of Israel of what Yahweh did in his great, great deliverance to them from bondage there in Egypt. And I, in thinking about that, Passover itself, I think, is to be a, a, a great reminder for them. Visually, I think it was a reminder of them of the high price that was paid for their release. The blood on the, on the door, visually, for them, talked about the high price that was paid for their freedom and for, for their relief. Remember, all of the firstborn of Egypt died that night, from the firstborn of Pharaoh and his house, to those in his court, to the soldiers that ruled under him, to the servants, 
to the least of the servants, and even unto the animals. All of the firstborn of Egypt died that night. That was a great price to pay the cost of their deliverance, the cost of their freedom. Freedom's never free, and I hope you know that, and I hope you realize that. Someone always has to pay the freedoms that we enjoy here today. Uh, didn't come to us free. Uh, the freedom for the nation of Israel out of bondage in Egypt did not come free. The sign of this was the blood on the door. Exodus 12, 3 and through 6. That's where he talks about. He says to take this lamb in the tenth day and to keep it in your household for four days until you kill it. I thought about that and I wondered the significance of that. And having sheep on our little farm now, let me uh, share this with you. Uh, lambs are unquestionably the cutest baby animals in the world. The cutest. If you don't believe it, it's because you've never been around one. The cutest animals in the world, they have the sweetest faces, the su you know, everything about them. And they were instructed to take this lamb and to keep it in their house for four days. Here's what I can tell you. There would have been a great emotional attachment to that animal. There would be in my house after four days. I'd be loving on that thing and, you know, petting on that thing and... And then four days later, they're given this instruction to take it out and kill it. Can I tell you, for most people, that would have been hard. Can I tell you, it was meant to be hard. Because it talked about the sacrifice that had to be made. You see, it was meant to be hard. Somebody here told me long before uh, we began even attending here, was talking about this with, with somebody in the congregation. I don't remember who it was, and we we're, we're, were talking about that. And, and they said something to the effect of this. They said, that lamb is so innocent, and that lamb is so perfect, and that lamb has done nothing to deserve what's coming to it. You see, that's the point that they were trying to make, I think, four days you're to keep this lamb and then you're to kill it and then you're to put, as a sign, you're to put his blood then on the door. And here we are, by the way, all these years later, and the sign of your passing from certain death to eternal life is the very same as the sign that was given to them then, you see. If the wages of sin is death, and it is, and if the gift of Yahweh's eternal life through Yeshua Messiah, it is, then what's the sign of that in our life? Can I tell you it's the blood of the Lamb that was sacrificed for you and that was sacrificed for me? Book of Hebrews said that Yeshua Messiah gave, offered up himself for us as a lamb without spot. And so the sign then remains the same. It's the blood that's applied to the doorpost of your heart that allows you to be passed over from death to life. 
Isaiah told us about this coming Messiah. I read it to my usher team this morning. This one that, was, that would come to suffer for you and for me. The iniquity of the whole world, it says, was laid on him. He didn't deserve that. And yet that was the way that it had to be. Just as innocent, just as perfect, even more. John spoke of the Lamb of Yahweh who takes away the sin of the world. And he talked about the blood of Yeshua Messiah that cleanses us from all of our sin. Here's what we know. We know that without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. And we also know, Peter said, remember, he said that we weren't redeemed with gold and silver or corruptible things but with the precious blood of the Lamb that was shed for you and me. See, the sign remains the same, doesn't it? The sign remains the same. Shua Messiah came to cleanse us from our sin. Just like the Hebrews, you have to apply it to your life. But we don't apply it today with hyssop like they were instructed to do. We apply it today with faith. We apply it with faith Turn with me to Romans chapter 3 just briefly. Romans 3. Romans 3 verse 22. It talks about this righteousness of Yahweh through faith in Yeshua Messiah to all and on all who believe. This righteousness of Yahweh through faith in Yeshua Messiah to all and on all who believe. Can I tell you that Yeshua Messiah's sacrifice was plenty enough for the sins of the whole world? It was no limited atonement. It was complete atonement. But here's the catch. The catch is that his sacrifice is only effective for those who believe. Did you get that in that verse? The righteousness of, of Yahweh through faith in Yeshua Messiah, to all, available to all, and on all who believe. Here's how we apply that blood to our life today. We believe, and we have faith. And then this says, then, verse 24, that we're justified freely by His grace through the redemption in Yeshua Messiah, whom Yahweh set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. The sign remains the same. It's the blood in your life and the blood in mine applied by faith. So when I think about that, the Passover celebration that was instructed to Moses and the, and the nation of, of Israel, as we think about that, you know, that, that looks back to Egypt, and I think it looks forward to Calvary, to that time when when, the, when this foreshadowing or this type was going to be made real in their lives. Passover, by the way, for Rhonda and I, you know, we came up in Sunday church and we observed communion. We never really thought very much about Passover. Last year, we observed our very first Passover in our home. Remember, we were all quarantined, the sickness that was going to be the end of all of mankind was upon us and I was reading the scriptures, scriptures that I've read hundreds of times 
And, and, and for some reason, it was one of the greatest epiphanies that I've ever had in my life. I said, Rhonda, do you realize, because we had been teaching, this is something new that we're to do. I, I said to Rhonda, Rhonda, I said, do you realize this is not something new? This is something infinitely old. You know, but there's a new meaning for those disciples in that last Passover meal with Yeshua. They knew and they understood the elements of all that, but for them it was a new meaning. See, um, th this type or this foreshadowing that the Passover talked about now was coming real for them in their life. So Passover looks, looks back to Egypt and it looked forward to Calvary. And then unleavened bread, this unleavened bread and the feast of unleavened bread, I think for us is, is to be seen as a new start. It's a new start. First of all, it's a new year. Yahweh said to Moses there in that 12th chapter of Exodus, verse 2, this month shall be a beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year. To you, a new year, a new season, a new time, if you will. Verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove leaven from your house. And whoever eats leavened bread from the first until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. In verse 19, again, seven days no leaven shall be found in your house. Since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether a stranger or a native. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Start of something new. They had to leave behind the old leaven and start all over, which wasn't as easy in their day as it is for us today. But they couldn't rely on what they had in Egypt. Now they had a new life. And now all things were going to be becoming new to them. When I think of unleavened bread, that's what I think of. A new season, a new start. And they were instructed, by the way, we just read, to search out all of the leaven in their house. By the way, this wasn't a casual search. You know, they were to go and they were to dig through everything that they had to make sure that nothing remained. You'll notice that even a little bit of leaven broke fellowship with Yahweh in this. That's what he said. Any person that eats anything leaven will be cut off. A little bit of leaven breaks fellowship. Why? Well, because a little leaven leavens a whole lump, doesn't it? Having leaven in your home during the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a sin. As I think about that, I thought, you know, that Yeshua talked about leaven, Paul talked about leaven, in the New Testament, Peter talked about leaven, and it was almost, not always, but almost always associated with sin. It was something to be done away with in our life, and so... I guess the simplest spiritual application that I can think of is this. Having been passed over from death to life and starting over with a clean slate, 
we need to be diligent to seek out and to do away with any sin that's in our life that would break our fellowship with Yahweh. It's a life lesson for us, not just in the week preceding Feast of Unleavened Bread, but throughout all of our days, we should remember that. We have to be diligent to seek out those things that would break our fellowship with Yahweh. And here's what I'll tell you about that. Remember, a loaf of bread in the pantry is easy to see, isn't it? Loaf of bread's pretty easy to see, but the crumbs in your couch are not so easy to see. By the way, that's often our biggest failure, isn't it? It's not in the big things, it's in the little things. The things that go unnoticed, but the things that are just as dangerous spiritually in our life. Uh, last year, some people, and you may do this, I'm not knocking you if you do, but some people even go so far as to buy a new toaster, throw their toaster away and buy a new toaster. I almost had to do that last year because I, I tried to clean our toaster. and uh, Anyway, it didn't work out as well as I thought. It seemed like I threw it out in the yard and Rhonda recovered it. Um, some people throw out their toaster because they want to make sure that there's no crumbs, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, turn with me there briefly. Y'all got to listen fast. So we're thinking then about these things in our life that would break our fellowship with Yahweh. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul talking to the church there at Corinth. He said, your, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He's talking about a specific sin that's in their assembly there, by the way. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Messiah, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He tells them, purge out all this old stuff that would interfere. Notice that verse 7. Purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. Since you truly are unleavened, he said, remember, this is the same group of people that he uh, said to them, if anyone be in Messiah, he is a new creation, and old things are passed away, and all things are being made new. This new creation, and I think here when he says to them, a new lump, since you truly are unleavened, what he's talking about is their position in Messiah their position in Messiah, made possible by the last part of that verse 7, for indeed Messiah, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. It talked about who they were, their position in Messiah, the same thing that Paul talked about to the church at Rome when he said they were justified by faith, spiritually speaking, their position. Here's the problem, beloved. The problem is that so often time our position with Messiah and our practice 
in the world don't always look the same, does it? You know, our position and our practice don't always line up. They don't always agree. Verse 8 there in 1 Corinthians. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor the leaven of malice and wickedness. By the way, there must have been some in the congregation. That's how they were acting. So he's saying, you, you're saying one thing with your mouth, and you're saying something different with your life. And, and I, I say to you, I've probably, and I'm, I'm sure I've said this exact same thing from this exact same place, but I say to you again today, it's so important that our life aligns with what our lips say. And if you're going to claim the name of Messiah, then you can't leave this place and live like the devil. You know, we're called to be uh, different. We're called to be holy. We're said to be a peculiar people, and we certainly are. And if that's what we claim, then that's how we ought to live. And we have to be diligent. We have to be diligent to search out all of the areas in our life where our position as a child of Yahweh, our position as an heir and a joint heir of Messiah, all those areas where our position and our practice don't line up, we need to search out those areas and we need to get rid of them. And I'll say this to you, you might need to throw your toaster away, you know, if that's what it takes. Does that make sense to anybody except me? You know, because most of us don't stumble in the big things. Most of us stumble in the little things. I know necessarily true in, in my life. Some things we just have to get rid of in our life. And remember, not, these are not always going to be loaves. Sometimes they're going to be crumbs, but we still need to get rid of them. I want to share a couple, few verses with you. Um, turn with your Bible, Second Chronicles chapter 29. Just in thinking about some of those areas or some of those things that may be crumbs in your life, but things that are hindering your relationship or your fellowship with Yahweh. Found these verses, um, and they, they really uh, jumped out to me. I was studying a couple of weeks ago for our uh, Bible study, which I'll throw a shameless plug in, Sabbath morning, 9 o'clock, in the library, we have Bible study every week. You're invited. Now I expect you to be there because you know. be nice if we had to move it in here. I don't know what worship team do about practice, but, you know. But anyway, I was studying for a Bible study, and I came across this, this, these verses, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, talks about the king Hezekiah, and, and he became king after his father Ahaz died, and Ahaz was one of the wickedest kings in, in Israel's history, and, and all the things that, that Ahaz did, um, you know, he robbed the temple of gold and silver, you know, he took stuff out and made uh, altars to Baal with it, uh, he, he filled the whole temple full of junk. Um, he built altars all over everywhere for idol worship. The Bible says that he even burned his children as a sacrifice to idols. And Hezekiah comes along now, and Hezekiah 
uh, the, the, the nation sort of sees a few years of revival under Hezekiah. And he comes in, and, and, and in chapter, chapter 29, 2 Chronicles, it tells about him cleaning the temple and all these things that he did. And so, you know, these jumped out and, and, and spoke to me about uh, some things that might be in my life and might be in your life that I might need to get rid of or that you might need to get rid of. Uh, some some things that would hamper our fellowship with Yahweh. And again, remember, these may be crumbs, not loaves, but we still need to get rid of them and address them in our life. And the very first thing is this. Um, the first thing we might need to get rid of uh, is procrastination. Procrastination. Look at there in 2 Chronicles verse 3. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he, Hezekiah, opened the doors of the house of Yahweh and repaired them. And in verse 17, it says they began to sanctify the temple. It was on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of Yahweh. Uh, some people live by a mantra that says, never do today what I can put off until tomorrow. <laughs> you know people like that? Never do today what I can put off until tomorrow. But can I say to you this morning that spiritually there's no room in your life or in mine for an attitude like that, spiritually speaking. Hezekiah had watched for most of his life as his father did all of these wicked things, robbed the temple, killed his children. You know, the, the wickedness just, just got worse and worse and worse. And this is what I believe. I believe Hezekiah was in the background and he bided his time. And, 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 and they came the time for him finally when he could do something about it. I believe that he said, not one more day will I put up with this. Not one more day. It says in the first day of the first month of his reign, the first thing that he did, listen, he didn't wait a hundred days you know, he didn't do this. On the very first day, he said, no more. He said, I'm not going to take this anymore. You know, uh, his, his zeal for Yahweh created in him an urgency that we need to understand this morning. Because sometimes we just sit around on the sidelines, you know, and, and, and we watch somebody else doing whatever they're doing and and, and, and this is what we might think. We might think that, well, you know, when I get time, I'll do this or I'll do that. You know, when I get through with all these things, we, we talked about this in our Bible study this morning. Our society is full of people who are so busy doing that getting around to ser serving Yahweh never even comes into it. If you have kids and if you live in this community, you're the busiest parents in the world because you're trucking your kids a million different places. They're playing every sport. They're dancing. They're in gymnastics. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're showing animals and maybe not the, the children of this assembly necessarily, but I'm talking about in this community as a whole. These people spend so much time invested in doing all these things for their kids that they forget the most important thing. 
The most important thing is not running your kids all over them playing in every sport. The most important thing is teaching them about Yahweh. And if you wait until you have time, and if you wait until you get all this other stuff done, when I get my career rolling, when I get my marriage right, when my kids get out of the house, when education's right, when whatever all of those things are that are going on in my life, when I get all of those things straight, then I'll make time for Yahweh. Let me say this to you, and again, with all the love I can muster in my heart, if you're too busy for Yahweh, then you're just too busy. You hear me? If you're too busy for Yahweh, then you're just too busy. And what we lack in our assemblies today is urgency. We lack urgency. Yeshua talked about the fields that were white unto harvest. Behold, the fields are white unto harvest, he said, and the workers are few. I read those words, I can't read those words without, in my mind, hearing the heartbreak that he has. Of all the things that need to be done, this, this harvest that's just ready, and yet nobody's there to do it. Why? It might be because, you know, somebody's putting off until tomorrow the things that they should be doing today, spiritually. You can't afford to do that, and I'll give you a couple reasons why. Number one, you're not guaranteed that you're even going to be here tomorrow. The Bible says that life's like a vapor that appears for a short time and then it's gone. And, and I, can, I can say with all assurity, when I was 20 years old, that verse meant nothing to me. Nothing. I could care less about it, couldn't understand it, didn't want to. 55 years old now, and that's becoming more and more real every day. Life's like a vapor that appears for a short time, and then it's gone. And it seems like the years go so fast, or go so, yeah, go so fast. When I was a kid, we'd get out of school for three months, and it seemed like forever. Do you remember that? It was forever. And now here we are. We're almost halfway through with this year already. Where did the time go? One day I was 20 years old, and the next day there was an old guy looking at me in the mirror while I shaved. Life's like a vapor that appears for a short time and then it's gone. I say that to you to say this to you. There's no time for you to put off until tomorrow the things that you should be doing today. But we need people that will stand up and say, not one more day. Look at the world around us. Boy, we need to be screaming our heads off. Not one more day. Am I going to stand up and listen to this? Not one more day am I going to put up with this. Listen, we need to get rid of the procrastination in our life. Because you're not guaranteed another day. Listen, in 55 years, here's one of the greatest truths that I've learned. Life is brief and death is certain. You know? And there's a short time. Yeshua talked about the, the fields are white under harvest. The thing about harvest is that harvest has a short time. And, and, and I think, by the way, that, that, that we're, we're in what could potentially be the greatest harvest time of all mankind. And I say that to say this to you. One more reason why you can't put off those things that you need to be doing today. Yeshua's return is imminent. 
2,000 years ago, they thought he was coming during their time. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in our, in our Bible study. Most believers, you know, we can't agree on a lot of things, but we can agree on the fact that Yeshua's coming back, and he certainly is. We're closer today than we were yesterday by 24 hours. And if we meet here next week at this same time, we'll be a week closer to his return. And so, again, I say those things to say to you, you might need to dig out and get rid of the procrastination that's in your life. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Second thing that you might want to dig deep and get rid of, crumb it might be in your life, are the excuses you use. The excuses that you use. Verse 4 there in Second Chronicles. Hezekiah brings the Levites and the priests together. Verse 5, and he said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourself and sanctify the house of Yahweh your Elohim of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of Yahweh our Elohim. They've forsaken him. They've turned their face away from the dwelling place of Yahweh. They've turned their backs on him. They've shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps. They've not burned incense or offered burnt offerings to the holy place. Therefore, the wrath of Yahweh fell upon them. Boy, he dresses them down, doesn't he? He says, all of these things that you should have been doing, you're not doing. I read that, and this is what I think. It should have been the priests and the Levites who were claiming this. But it takes the king to stand before him and say, here's what you've allowed to happen. And I dare say that their response, at least amongst themselves, would have probably been something like this. Well, that's the way we've always done it. That's the way we've been doing it for years. You know, why do we want to change what we're doing? I'm sure they had plenty of excuses for why they did what they did. I was a manager for Home Depot for about 12 years, and I got assigned to a store one time. And about a week before my assignment date, I went and toured the store. One person in there knew who I was. Nobody else did. And I walked in every department, tried to talk to every department manager, you know, trying to get help on this or help on that. And I writing all this stuff down and writing names down. My first day of work, I showed up. And the very first thing I did was I called all my department managers together for a staff meeting. And when I walked in the room, I could tell by the looks of their face, some of them recognized me and knew who I was. And by the way, I didn't have a very good shopping experience with them. And I dressed them down. And I said, listen, there's a new sheriff in town. And we're not going to act like this, and you're not going to do this. And, and this is what they all said. Well, that's what we always did. That's how we were trained. That was our expectation. And I said to them, that's not good enough, you know. And I dare say these priests and the Levites probably thought the same thing when the king stands before them and just rips them up one side and down the other. That's what we've always done. But I say to you again, they should have been the ones calling out the sin in the nation. It was their job. It was their appointment. Their responsibility. They should have been shouting it at the tops of the roof. And they didn't. They said and they allowed it to go on around them. They became at the very least tolerant of the sin in the world around them. That's a dangerous place to be. 
as an assembly, when we become tolerant of the sin around us, you know, it's not very long before we begin to embrace the sin around us. And we talked about that as well a few weeks ago. Begin to embrace the sin around us. So I'm sure they had plenty of excuses. Not our fault. Always been this way. We couldn't have done anything to change it. Again, another failure in many of our assemblies today. There's no excuse for us not living up to the expectation that Yahweh has for us as believers. No excuse whatsoever. We're supposed to be different and set apart. No excuses. Get rid of them if you have them in your life. Here's a big one that you might need to get rid of. A big one, you see. And that's this, ambition. Verse 10 and 11, he says, again, Hezekiah speaking to them. He said, now it's in my heart to make a covenant with Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away. My sons, don't be negligent now, for Yahweh has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister to him and burn incense. This is what they needed to hear. This was their job all along. Not to sit silent while the world fell apart around them. Their job all along was that they would stand before him and serve him and minister to Yahweh. Can I tell you, that's your job and my job as well today. Sometimes um, we forget this. We forget that our relationship with Yahweh shouldn't be about what we can get out of it. Shouldn't be about what we can get out of it. Beloved, hear me this morning when I say this to you. It's not about you. It's not about you. This place is not about you. What we do here is not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you like. This place and what we do here is all about Yahweh and our service to Him. Am I right? It's all about Yahweh and our service to Him. We're to stand before Him and we're to serve Him and we're to minister to Him. That's what we do, or that's what we're supposed to do. Sometimes we get it all mixed up and we look at Yahweh like some genie in a bottle. And we forget about him, don't know anything about him until something pops up in our life where we need a miracle. And we whip out that genie and we rub it. And we say, you know, Yahweh, this is what I need. Boom, boom, boom. We think that he exists to serve us. I'll use the same word I used earlier, hogwash. Can I tell you, Yahweh does not exist to serve you. You exist to serve Him. It is at His pleasure and by His grace that we're even here this morning. At His pleasure and by His grace that we're even here this morning. So your ambition should have nothing to do with it. Listen, we need to be about standing before Him and serving Him and ministering to Him. And I pray that you are, but sometimes we get so caught up in our worship with the things that we want that we forget it's not about us. It's easy to get caught up in some, oh, n numerous things. You know, you might like 
certain preaching style of one over another. You know, you might favor this one over that one. You might like a certain music. Well, I don't like that song and don't like that song. That song's too fast. That song's too slow. You might get caught up in, 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 in you might want our fellowship to be different. Maybe it's too hot. Maybe it's too cold. Maybe the color of the paint's the wrong color. I don't know. But all of those things that you think, in your mind at least, will make you happy in your worship experience here. Uh, I would remind you this morning, uh, you weren't saved to be happy, but you were saved to be holy. And all of those things that you think are so important to you have nothing to do with you and have everything to do with him. And you might not like the music, you might not like the preaching, it might be too cold, you might not like the color of the paint, okay? But have you ever thought this? Maybe some of those things that you don't like are blessing somebody else. Maybe somebody else is be, being fed by something that you don't like. And, and here's what we need in our assembly, in this assembly and in every one. This is what we need. We need to remove ourselves from the equation. We need to remove what we want. We need to remove what we think we desire. And this is what we need to do. We need to replace those things with full surrender to Yahweh's will for our life and for this assembly and for his kingdom. Because, by the way, what he wants is going to get done, whether you're in it or not. We should stand before him and serve him and minister him. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what you're called to do, and that's what I'm called to do. And, and, and by the way, I would remind you, he is worthy of that. He's worthy. Amen? He's worthy of that. We might need to get rid of the ambition in our life. Lastly, I'll say this, and then I'll hush. It's painting with a broad brush. Here's what I can tell you for sure we all need to get rid of in our life and 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 the bible here calls it rubbish verse five sanctify yourselves and sanctify the house of yahweh elohim of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place and in verse verse 15 they gathered their brethren sanctified themselves and went according to the commandment at the words of of Yahweh to cleanse the house of Yahweh and the priests went into the inner part to cleanse it and they brought out all the debris that they had found in the temple of Yahweh to the court of the house and the Levites took it and carried it off rubbish stuff junk here we're reminded uh, those are all of the things that stood in the way of the king and the Levites and the priests and the nation of Israel, there were things that stood in the way of their worship to Yahweh. Remember, Ahaz had piled all that stuff in there, junk everywhere, scattered about, and the very first thing that they had to do was to clean it out. Stuff that's in our life. Leaven that's in our life. Anything that hinders our worship and our relationship with Yahweh the temple was so full that the people couldn't worship and our lives can be exactly the same way
so full of stuff and so full of junk. Our lives are like a jar and there's only so much room in a jar. And if it's full, then you have to take something out to make room for something else. I wrote that down and I thought a better example would be life's like a refrigerator. It sometimes has so much stuff in it, you can't put something else in it unless you take something out. We do leftovers at our home this way. We put them in the refrigerator for three weeks before I throw them away, or Rhonda does. Not that bad. But it's true. Our lives can be that way sometimes. And I'd ask you this question, what do you fill your life with? What are you filling your life with? that might hinder you from your worship of Yahweh. There's only so many hours and minutes in a day and how many of those are you using to worship Yahweh? 1,440 minutes in every day. How many of those minutes does Yahweh get from you? 5, 10, 30, 10,800 minutes in a week how many of those minutes does Yahweh get for most of you I can tell you the answer it's 120 two hours on Sabbath morning it's going to be 130 this week two hours and ten minutes on Sabbath morning that's funny isn't it but I want you to put that into perspective how many of those minutes does Facebook get? Say, boy, preacher, you're just getting wicked now. How many? How many of those minutes does TV get? How many of those minutes does your computer get? How many of those minutes does your work get? How many of those minutes does your kids get? Do the activities that you do get? Do your sports get? Do your friends get? You see... You can tell what's important to a man by what he spends his time doing. And this is what I believe with all my heart. I believe that for many, if not most of us, there's so much junk in our lives, so much stuff piled up in our temple that we don't have room to worship the way that we should. And if that's true of you, here's what I'll tell you. Just like that refrigerator and those leftovers, you're going to have to throw something away to make the room for what's important. Make the room for what's important. By the way, if you read the next chapter in 2 Chronicles, King Hezekiah calls a Passover feast and they have such a good time that they decide to do it the second week. Do it two weeks in a row. You see, that's the result, by the way, of getting all that mess out of our life. It makes us want to worship. It makes us want to draw near. It makes us want to minister to and serve Yahweh. I pray that you do. Clean out the leaven in your life. Get rid of the loaves. Get rid of the crumbs. Throw your toaster out if you need to. Yahweh bless you.